can't even slow the brakes, down. The brakes, we slow don't down. have to go. Cheers to this. Welcome to my house. Play that music too loud. Show me what you do now. We don't have to go. Welcome to my house. You heard me? We ain't gotta go out, cause what? What's up, everybody? How are we doing? Good? That's for you, Johnny. Well, hey, welcome to Young Adults. My name is Connor, and I normally work in the volunteer department, but I love every opportunity that I get to just share my heart with you guys. Um, real quick, could you just turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, give them a hug, tell them they look real good tonight, even if you have to lie. Even if you have to lie, tell them they look real good. I heard Jess ask this question, but just, just for my sake, are there any first-time guests here tonight? Any first-time guests? Anyone? Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. You are our honored guest, and we are so glad that you are here. Um, guys, I got to be a little honest, though. I feel a little weird here tonight. I feel a little awkward because this is the first message I have ever given where my beautiful fiancé is not in the crowd cheering me on. She's suffering for the Lord in Ireland right now, so pray for her. <laughs> no, but the reason that's important is because I actually pay her to laugh at my jokes and to say amen when I make a good point. And so I'm going to need your all's help. Um, I know you all have heard me a little bit before, but I'm from Virginia. And in Virginia, it is actually a sin to not respond to the preacher if he's saying something that you like. So if I say something good, feel free to say amen. You can say preach. If, it's even, if it applies to your neighbor but it's not to you, you can even tap somebody on the shoulder and say, that was for you. You needed to hear that. <laughs> I kind of know what your struggle's like right now. That was for you. And the greatest compliment you could give a preacher in Virginia is when an old woman, preferably over 70, just stands up in the crowd and she doesn't really say anything, but she just does one of these. I'm just saying, if you're led. <laughs> no, but hey, before we get started, can we, can we pray real quick? Jesus, we love you, and we are so, so thankful that we get to gather here tonight. We honestly believe that nobody is here by mistake. Nobody came in on accident. Nobody just stumbled in here. We believe that you have a plan and a purpose for every single person that walked in here tonight. And God, we just believe that your grace is so strong, that your love is so strong, and that you're just so good that you want to do something tonight in our hearts and in our lives, and you want to do something in young adults. And so, Jesus, whatever you have for us is all that we want. We want to see you more clearly. We want to love you more. And God, I just pray right now, if there's anybody in here that's wrestling with depression, if there's anybody in here that's struggling with anxiety, if there's anybody in here that's just going through something, would you be their all-encompassing everything? Would you be their healer? Would you be their peace? Would you be their hope? God, we're just ready for you tonight, and we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. That wasn't good. One more time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There we go. Please. 
I called this message Heart for the House, Heart for the House and Creating Space for Others. And last week we began a series called Welcome Home. And the purpose um, behind that series is to kind of reinforce what YA is all about as we continue to move forward and to take ground in Denver. And uh, when Jess kind of started to focus in on why we exist as YA and, and why we kind of do what we do, she landed on these three things. And it was to build God's kingdom on earth to bring God's love to everybody, and to lead and to live for his fame. And this series, Welcome Home, is just going to kind of hone in on the fact that we honestly do believe that God loves everybody, that Jesus is for anyone and everyone, and anyone and everyone is welcome here. Anyone and everyone, no matter what you're going through, YA can be a home for you. And if you believe me, can you give me an amen? Awesome, guys. And this message, Heart for the House, it kind of came from a place of wanting YA to share the same drive, the same vision, the same passion for this place, for Thursday nights, for our house that Jesus had for his place. You know, you can, is there, is there anybody in here that actually isn't from Colorado? Is there anybody in here that is a transplant? I was driving on I-70 this morning, and we are the problem for all the traffic. We really are. But I've been here for four years, so I'm like half native already, okay? <laughs> Come on, y'all. No, but I said, so I am from Virginia, and ever since I've been here, I've learned some things. There's some differences in culture, and I've learned that you can get to know somebody pretty well. You can get to know somebody really well, but until you like have seen their home, until you see them in their natural habitat, you don't really know them as well as you think, and when you get to see somebody at home, when you get to see how they act in their house, it kind of peels back the layers and gives you sort of like a behind-the-scene glimpse of who they are or, or why they think the way that they think. Um, for example, uh, people have different versions of hospitality uh, here and in Virginia. In Virginia, if you were to come to my house, we would actually take you to my grandma's house. That's just what we do. I would take you to my grandma's house, and when you would open the door, she would hug you, a frontal hug, no side hug. She would embrace you, and she would kiss you on the cheek. I know that might make some people feel uncomfortable, but my grandma would hug you, she would kiss you, and she would act like she's known you your entire life. Then, to further the hospitality, she would cook for you. But she wouldn't just cook for you. She would cook enough for you to eat off of for like a month. But the thing that you do to reciprocate this hospitality is you, you eat and you have to have at least three servings of grandmama's food to let her know you're appreciative of the hospitality. That's a difference and that's, that's a way you would get to know me. Um, people here and people from Virginia have different preferences on, on the, way things, uh, the way things go in their house. They have different preferences on um, just certain things. Like my dad is half deaf. And so growing up, I listened to the TV maxed out all the time because my dad thought it was normal. And so I, I literally remember as a kid, um, it was like a Saturday or something, and I was uh, in my bed. I was kind of I was asleep, and it was about 5 in the morning. And sometimes my dad wakes up early and can't fall back to sleep. And he loves sci-fi movies, loves them for whatever reason. And I just remember being a kid and literally waking up instantaneously to the sound of Predator and like this gun, like, 
Like it sounded like it was in my room and this predator like screeches or whatever. I'm like, oh my gosh. And ever since I've been here, my fiance, Erin, in, in her house, they listen to the TV so low it's almost inaudible. Like I have gotten so good at reading lips because we'll be like watching The Voice and I'll be like, I think, I think this person has a good voice. I, they move their lips well. Maybe somebody will turn around for that. <laughs> People also have different ways of problem solving in their home. They have different methods and different tactics to figure out a situation. For example, growing up, does anybody in here have siblings? Is anybody a sibling? Does anybody have a sibling that is close to your age? Okay, did anybody ever share a room with a sibling? Yes, yeah, so you're probably going to know what I'm talking about here in a minute. So I'm the oldest of four. And when I was in high school, I believe my sisters were still in middle school, but I have two sisters. They're about two years apart. And when I was in high school, I never really had to set an alarm clock because I would wake up to this noise every single morning. It sounded like a stampede was happening across the hallway. And this is what was happening. My sisters shared a room, but they also shared a bathroom. And so what would happen was whoever woke up first would sprint to the bathroom, which would then wake up the other person, and that person would try to catch up and sprint to the bathroom. And whoever won, whoever got there first, would slam the door, would lock it, and then would act like the other person doesn't exist so they could take the longest time they wanted doing their makeup, showering. And it always woke me up because they would just be like, Mom, Mom, and they would be like, just pounding on the door, you know, just, just open up. And my parents, being great parents, you know, they would go to them and be like, hey, girls, we love you so much. Like, please try to love each other and, like, <laughs> share the bathroom. Hey, girls, you've been doing this for, like, a month. Like, please, we're going to have to ground you. Hey, you still haven't stopped. We're going to kill you now. <laughs> no, but I, I specifically remember um, one morning this happened. And, I mean, it, it just sounded like a war was going on in their room. And all of a sudden, my dad is just, he, my parents have their room is in the basement, and he has this screwdriver in his hand, and he's just marching up the stairs. And he goes into my sister's room, and he's just like, bam, 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 open up the door. And whichever sister won that day was just like, they opened the door, and they acted like they were just totally naive of the situation. Like, oh, I'm, did I lock you out and take forever? I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But my dad has this screwdriver, and he just pop, 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 and he takes the door right off the hinges and sets it down. And he's like, there will be no more door on your bathroom. <laughs> Problem solving. Am I right? People have different ways of dealing with issues in their house. And you get to learn a lot about somebody when you get to see how they handle those situations in their home. You get to learn a lot about somebody when you see what they prioritize and what they value. And tonight we're going to take a look at what Jesus prioritizes and what he values in his house. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to John chapter 2? John chapter 2, verse 13. And before we jump in, I'm going to set the stage for a minute. Uh, Jesus just left the wedding. And he just got done doing his first miracle, which is turning water into wine, which would be awesome if, because we have so many weddings going on, if he could like keep that going for a little while. Um, 
No, but he, he's with his mom and he's with his boys. Uh, the, the beginning of chapter 2 says he, he leaves the wedding and he's with his mom, which I think is kind of cool. I love my mom. Jesus loves his mom. And he's traveling from Capernaum, where I guess his wedding was, to Jerusalem. And he's heading to Jerusalem with his friends and his family because the Passover is about to happen. And the Passover was an annual celebration of God liberating the Israelites out of Egypt. And the term Passover came from literally uh, God passing over the uh, Israelites in Egypt. And what happened, real quick, the story was uh, Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go. Moses would come to him and say, like, hey, let my people go. He'd say no. He would be like, turn your river into blood, have some gnats, like have some flies. Like, and Pharaoh was still like, no, I'm not going to let you go. And so finally, the last plague that hit um, God sent an angel of death over Egypt and killed the firstborn of not only the, the children, but the animals as well. And what he told his people was, if you will take a spotless lamb, sacrifice it, take its blood and put it over the doorposts, I will pass over your house and you will be safe. And this is where they get this term. And this is also one of the most just clearest foreshadowings of what Jesus has done for us when he spilled his blood for us. It's so God's judgment could pass over us and that we wouldn't have to incur that, but that now it's grace, it's love, and it's joy for us. And so during Passover, people from everywhere, miles and miles and miles around, would come to Jerusalem, sort of like the Mecca of, of this celebration, and they would go to the temple to celebrate. And I think we got a slide to kind of show you guys what the temple looked like back in that day. So you see, this is Herod's temple. This is the temple that Jesus would have been at. And it's kind of hard to read, but there's a lot of different um, places. Like, there's a lot of different gates. There's a lot of different courts, and every single one of them had significance. Only the priest could go into the holy place, and only Israelites could go into that little middle place that's got a bunch of the buildings and stuff. But I want you to take special note of the outer court, that big sort of like sandy yard looking area. That area right there, I don't know if you can read it or not, that area right there is called the Court of the Gentiles. The Court of the Gentiles. And, and what would happen in that area is people that were not Jews but had heard of God or even were just there to celebrate the Passover, they were allowed to go in that area to worship God, to spend time with God, and to celebrate the Passover feast. They weren't allowed to go anywhere else, but they could go into the court of the Gentiles, a court for the outcast, a court for the hurt and the downtrodden, a court for the people that were not necessarily the chosen people. And that's important because that is where the story we're about to read takes place. It takes place in the court of the Gentiles. And I just think it's cool to point out, first of all, that isn't it cool that we serve a God, Jesus, who goes to the court of the Gentiles and hangs out in the court of the people that are maybe the outcast or the unwanted or the people that might not just fit in. I think it's pretty cool that Jesus's heart is resting in the court of the Gentiles. And so we pick it up here with his mom and his boys. They're strolling through Jerusalem. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff going on. And Jesus walks into the temple, and this is what he sees. John chapter 2, verse 13. When the Passover feast celebrated each spring by the Jews was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. He found the temple teeming with people selling cattle and sheep and doves, and loan sharks or money changers were also there in full strength. 
Jesus put together a whip out of strips of leather and chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and the cattle, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchant, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house. I want you to underline that if you actually have a physical Bible uh, or you can click it and highlight it in your phone. Um, Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall or a den of thieves. And that's when the disciples remembered the scripture. Zeal for your house consumes me. All right. So what do we have going on here? Because this is a pretty interesting scene. Jesus, meek, mild, tender, blonde hair, blue eyed pale skin, uh, hair waving in the air, Jesus walks into the temple and has a complete and utter meltdown, a freak out. And just for, and just for a little side note, you can just kind of log this back in your brain. He actually does this twice. He does it later before he goes to the cross. And I just imagine like being a merchant and being like, oh my gosh, there's Jesus. Like I still got a scar from the, one of the whips, like got out, got out of his hand or whatever. Like But that's weird, right? Like Jesus freaks out in the temple and he literally starts Spartan kicking tables and like letting sheep go and like whipping things. Like it just seems a little out of character. And if we read it kind of quick, it seems irrational for the situation. If we read it kind of quick, it seems irrational for the situation. But I love Jesus's heart in this situation because a lot of people, mostly with anger issues, will use this scripture to justify being angry and sinning not. Well, Jesus went in the temple, he kicked over a bunch of things, and he was angry, but he sinned not. That's not what this is about. You might have anger issues if that's your favorite verse and you have it memorized (laughs) and you tell everybody about it. But I want you to notice what he says here. He says, don't make my father's house this way. Don't make my father's house this way. And It's really cool what he's doing here because those words are very intentional. Those words are very intentional for what he's saying. Jesus is making a proclamation that the temple, the public place of worship where all these people are gathering, is his father's house. And if it is his father's house, the people knew that the temple was where God dwelt. And so if he's saying, this is my father's house, what he's saying is God is my father. Which is, which is what he is saying, and he's saying, that means I am also divine, that means I am also the Messiah, and that means if God and I are one, if I'm the second head in the Trinity, then this is also my house. That this is my house. And we kind of see him getting upset, because if this is his house, just like some of the examples that I gave you earlier, if this is his house, then it has to abide by his rules, If this is his house, there are rules and there are reasons for ways for it to operate. There's a purpose behind it. There's a mission behind it. There is a reason for his house to exist, and there's a way he does things. And here we get an incredible glance into the heart and the character of Jesus based off the way he treats his house. We see that Jesus is upset, and he's upset because he sees this. A good thing became a distraction and deterred people from the mission of the house. A good thing became a distraction and deterred people from the mission, from the heart, from the purpose of the house. Now, this is what I mean by a good thing. These people with the tables and with the animals and with the exchange, they were actually providing a good service for people. 
it wasn't bad in nature necessarily what they were doing because if you remember, people would travel for miles and miles to get to Jerusalem for the Passover. And if they tried to bring their own animal, more than likely it could die, it would get hurt, and it would become unclean. And there'd be no purpose for them to sacrifice it. They would have to get another one anyway. And so what they were doing was actually allowing these foreigners, these people that came in to get an animal to sacrifice so they could worship at that time the way God told them to worship. And they used to sell animals outside of the temple. So this wasn't just a thing that happened at Passover. They did this a lot. Um, but they used to sell animals outside the temple. But because there are so many people in the city at this time, it would get crowded. And so what they did, what they decided to do, was that they would set up shop in the temple. But not just anywhere in the temple. They set up shop in the court of the Gentiles, in the court of the others, in the court of the people that are kind of close but not really there yet. And not only did they start taking up room, but they also charged exorbitant amounts of money. They, the, the, uh, the rate that they would charge for people to like exchange currency or to buy these animals was through the roof. And so that's why Jesus like judo kicks some tables and stuff like that. He's like, dude, come on, seriously. But I want, you to, I want you to see this, and I want you to think about this. The church people, the regulars, the people that come every Thursday night, lost sight of the mission. And instead of making room and getting a little uncomfortable and, and being okay with things being a little crowded in the street, because these new people were coming and the church people were just doing kind of what they always did, they missed the mission. Because it had become more normative, more about them than the heart for the actual house. And I just wonder, it kind of made me think, what good things do I have in my life that are good and the intentions are good and the thought behind it is good, but they're keeping me from the mission. They're keeping me from experiencing the heart of the house. They're keeping me from really kind of seeing Jesus' purpose for my life. I wonder what good things are starting to slow me up, what good things are, are starting to kind of weigh me down. And at YA, we have a purpose. Every single Thursday night, we have a purpose to why we gather together. And one of them, one of the pillars of this purpose is that Thursday nights in this building, when you walk through these doors and you take a seat on, in this auditorium, we are trying so desperately hard to bring God's love to every single person that walks through the door. And if we want to bring God's love to every single person that walks through the door, that might mean we have to get a little uncomfortable every once in a while. That might mean we have to ask the person that we see at Whole Foods or Starbucks every single day if they want to come to church. That might mean that we get a little intentional about who we talk to out in the lobby. It might mean that YA is a night not just for our friend group, but that we can be open-handed with our friend group. And that we can invite more people into that and more people into that. We have to get a little uncomfortable if we want to be ambassadors and share the heart for the house. And if we want the heart for the house, if we really believe that every living, breathing person is a candidate for the grace of God, is a candidate for unmerited favor, is a candidate for unending love, we have to make room. We have to get a little uncomfortable and make some space for new people, for outsiders. That has to be who we are. 
I'm telling you, God did not call us to be a place of the chosen frozen. He told us to be a place of a hospital. He told us to be a place for the people that don't have a family, we're their family. For the orphans and the widows, we're their family. For the awkward outcasts, we're their family. For the strippers, for the drug dealers, hey, welcome home. You belong. And here's the thing. And I know you might not believe this right away, but you'll, you'll hear later on. You don't have to believe right away to belong. You belong right now. If you're in here and you don't believe in Jesus, but somebody invited you, you're home. All we want to do while you're here is tell you that Jesus loves you, that he's alive, and that he cares about you way too much to let you leave the same way that you came in. Welcome home. And the reason that we see Jesus reacting the way that he did. The reason we see him getting so upset as he walks into the temple is because just like young adults has a mission to love the unlovable, just like young adults has a mission to make room for every single person in Denver. And guess what? If we have to, we'll go to two services. We'll get another building, whatever. We'll pull out as many chairs. You guys can sit in the aisles. We need to make room for people. That is the heart for the house. The reason Jesus is so upset is because so many people were coming to the temple, the normals, the regulars, the insiders, but they forgot about the mission. 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon has just built the first temple and he's dedicating it and he's praying over it and he's asking God to bless it and to reside over it and to keep it. And I love it because the original house of God, when they, when they stopped walking around in a tent and God said, build me a house and I will dwell in it, Solomon states the purpose in this dedication of the house. And I just have to imagine that as Jesus is walking into the temple, this has to be on his mind. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41 through 43. In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people, outsiders, non-church people, foreigners, will hear of you. They will come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray towards this temple, think about this, when a foreigner who doesn't know you, who's not kind of in the end, prays towards this temple, look at Solomon's heart here. Hear them from heaven where you live, and grant what they ask of you. See, I think so often we kind of get it backwards and we say, well, if you believe, then you can pray and Jesus will hear you. And what Solomon is saying is we just kind of want people that want God. And if you don't know what that looks like, and if you came in here and you have no idea what God looks like, but you're just saying, I've, I see the way you guys live and I've heard something special's happening here. He is saying, God, if those people walk through our doors and they pray and they really want to know you, will you hear them? And will you actually answer what they're asking for? Because it will make you more famous. He says, when they pray towards this temple, hear from heaven and grant what they ask of you, because in this way, all the people of the earth will come to know you and fear you just as your own people do. They too will know that this temple, this house I have built honors your name. I love that. The heart for the house, the heart for the original house was for the foreigner just as much as it was for the insider. It was for the outcast just as much as it was for the person that came through seminary. 
It was for the hurting and the broken, just as much as it was for the people that had it all together. The heart for the house is for everybody. And in Isaiah 56, prophetically speaking over the house again, Isaiah states this, Make sure that no outsider who follows God ever has the occasion to say, God put me second class and I don't really belong here. Could you just imagine what that would feel like to walk into a church where you're supposed to be welcome and feel like you don't fit in? And the heart for God's house is make sure no outsider comes in here and says, God's made me second class and I don't belong. And make sure no physically mutilated person is ever made to think I'm damaged goods and I don't really belong. And what he means here, back in the time, people that were born with birth defects or were physically mutilated were considered outcasts in society. And so what we can say is, not only the physically mutilated, but the outcast. Make sure that no outcast ever is ever made to think, I'm damaged goods and I don't really belong. For God says to the mutilated or the outcast who keeps my Sabbath and chooses to do what delights me and keeps a firm grip on my covenant, get this, Man, I'll provide for them an honored place in my family. I will provide for them an honored place in my city, not just the outside court, an honored place. And I love this. Even more honored than the sons and the daughters. Think about that. Like, we sing songs like, we are the sons and the daughters. Like, what he's saying is like, we want to give the outsiders an even more honored place in our house. Because if they come through our house, they are our honored guests. This place is for them. And our heart, our job is to portray Jesus' love to those people because at the end of the day, he just wants to love them. Let's finish up here. Sorry, tech. I'm jumping back and forth. Uh, I'll provide them an honored place in my family and within my city, even more honored than the sons and the daughters. I will, I will confer permanent honors on them that will never be revoked and as for the outsider who follows me I will bring them to my holy mountain and I will give them joy in the house of prayer we live in a society where real joy is such a rarity it's so easy to take a snap or to take an Instagram pic and act like you're happy and you're dying inside and what he's saying is for the people that need joy come home come to my house if you're an outsider, you've never been to church, joy's still available for you. He said it right here. They'll be welcome to worship the same as the insiders. To bring burnt offering and sacrifices to my altar. Oh yeah, my house of worship will be known as a house for all people. Band, you guys can come back up. I just want you to catch the passion and the prophecy and the energy and the drive for the heart for the house. The heart for the house is so strong for the outsider. It's so strong for the hurting. It's so strong for the needy. And we just can't be naive enough to think that there are people on our campuses or that there aren't people in the grocery stores and the restaurants that we go to that don't need this. People need this. The heart for the house isn't just for the people that come in every Thursday or come in every Sunday and they act like they have it all together and they act like everything's cool. The heart for the house isn't just for the people that know when to say amen when a sermon's given or know when to raise their hands when the band changes keys during a song. The heart for the house 
is whosoever thirsts, come and drink of living water. The heart for the house is that whosoever will can come. And I love that we serve a God that is for the whosoever. I just want to be a people that shares that same passion. I want to be a people that on Thursday nights, when we see this heart, when we have an opportunity to share with people, when we have an opportunity to invite strangers in our home, we just say, whosoever will can. Because Jesus wants to know them more than you want Jesus to know them. Jesus wants to care about them more than you want Jesus to care about them. Like, you don't have to convince somebody he's good enough to just do it. Because he loves them more than you ever could. Jesus, walking into the temple fully aware of where he's at and what he's doing, goes right into the court of the Gentiles, the court of the outcasts, the court of the hurting, the court of the kind of involved but not really good enough to be on the outside, but can't really sink your teeth in and get involved. I'm just so thankful that he's a God of the outcast because I wouldn't be where I'm at if he wasn't. And I just imagine him looking at the regulars, looking at the church attendees, looking at the people that have tithe on auto so every paycheck, it just gets taken out. I just imagine him looking at the people that know every Hillsong United song or have memorized every Bible verse from Camp Idrahaji. I just imagine him looking at people that have been doing this thing their whole life and saying, what are you doing? You've missed the entire mission. My heart is for the outsider and the hurting. And it just makes me think, do we actually believe that Jesus is good enough to deal with these people's problems? Do we believe that his love is strong enough to rescue people out of pits and pull them out of the hell that they might be living in, both now and eternally? Do we honestly believe that Jesus is that good? Because he is that good. And young adults, I just wonder what it would look like if we began to carry the heart for the house everywhere we went. I wonder what would happen just in here. I pray this for every single church, but I wonder what would happen if we just started to carry this heart for the hurting, this heart for the outsider, and we made our mission on Thursday nights to be a place where we make room for people where we prioritize the outsider, where they are our honored guests, they are our celebrity, they are welcome. And this is their home. Because when my grandma fixes you dinner, it puts her out a little bit. She's older, she, she bakes bread fresh, she makes everything from scratch. You are in her home, but she treats you like you're the most important person in the world. And I just wonder if we could catch that spirit, what would it look like? What if every single day we carried out Jesus' heart for the house and we made YA a place that reflects that heart? Because the heart for the house is this. Welcome home to anyone and everyone that wants to belong. The mission of the house is this. People of God, go find those people to welcome home. The heart for the house is that we make room and we get a little uncomfortable for people. We, we, we rearrange our schedules. And, and sometimes I just think about this. 
The Bible says that our bodies are now the temple of the Lord. That the Spirit of God dwells in us like he dwelt in the, te- the actual temple that we just saw. What would Jesus do if he walked into your temple? What would he see if he, if he walked into the space that you're making for him? Would it be, would it have room? Would there be enough area to get a little uncomfortable? Or would you take good things and slowly start placing them in the places that other people deserve? To any friends or to any neighbors or to anybody that came here that doesn't normally come here, welcome home. Are you hurting? Are you going through something? Welcome home. Are you wrestling with depression? Are you struggling with anxiety? Welcome home. You belong right where you are. Are you lonely? Do you need a friend? Look around at your brand new family, your home. You belong. And in conclusion, I want to share a story. Man, I'm telling you guys, I... I married up. I really did. I really married up. Not only is she way more attractive than me, but the girl loves Jesus. And we're getting married in July, and she's off at, I think, Cherry Creek or somewhere, and she's getting her veil worked on. I don't, I don't know what happens to a veil. I just get to wear a suit. But she's, she's with this lady, and she's getting her veil made. And because she loves makeup, she's probably going to be embarrassed that I'm telling you guys this, but she can watch makeup tutorials on YouTube for hours. She loves makeup, and so she goes to the mall. She heads over to the mall, and on the way to the mall, she's walking in, it's pretty crowded. She heard God tell her something and said, hey, be patient, because you're going to run into somebody that I really love. Be patient. And she's like, okay, and whatever. Like, I, She doesn't really get those kind of promptings, I guess, normally, but this was so strong in her heart, and it just said, be patient. There's somebody that I love you're going to run into. And she goes into her favorite makeup store. And this lady, you know, is there to help a bunch of people. And apparently she says hi to Aaron. And then she's walking around and helping so many other people that are so demanding of her time. And Aaron's just kind of like playing it cool. She's just like, hey, like you do your thing. I'm here. No rush. And uh, the girl finally gets done with all the other people. And she comes up to Aaron and she's like, hey, thank you so much for being patient. So many people are kind of being demanding of my time. Thank you for being patient. What do you do for a living? Aaron's like, oh, I work with a lot of people. I work with a lot of people so that I'm learning to be patient. And she's like, where do you work? And she said, Red Rocks Church. And this girl goes, no way. No way, because just this past Easter, I've been really wanting to try to get closer to God. And just this past Easter, I I went to Red Rocks Church at this amusement park. (laughs) It'll never die. I went to this church at at, at Heritage Square, and I was 30 minutes late because there was such a long line to get in the door. And I get in the door, and the message has already started. And I kind of feel a little awkward because there's people lining the walls. But somebody must have seen me come in because somebody who goes there a lot got up and gave me their seat. Somebody was willing to get a little uncomfortable for somebody else to welcome somebody home. And And girl, I don't know if you're in here tonight. But she was having a conversation with my fiance, and she's like, I loved Red Rocks Church. I loved that place. I felt welcome there. 
And Erin, just being the amazing person that she is, having a heart so deeply for the things of God, was just like, hey, well, we do this thing on Thursday nights, and you would be our honored guest. We would love for you to be there. And I don't know if you're here tonight or not. I really don't. But if you are, I want you to know that you are not here by accident. God loves you. If you've been looking for God, he's been looking for you harder. And he wants you to be right here. You are exactly where you need to be tonight. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that we can just get a reminder, God, that you are for every single person. You're for the outcast. You're for the hurting. You're for the broken. And God, as I pray, as we go into these summer months, as we go into times where we might be going home from school or, or just different things are changing in our life and we're going through different seasons, I pray that we never lose the heart for the house. I pray that we never lose the heart for the hurting and that we're never too busy, we're never too preoccupied to make room and to get a little uncomfortable for somebody that might not normally be here. God, would you send your church on mission for the hurting? Would you download your heart into our heart so that we can be a church that meets on Thursday nights and we can share the same heart that you have for other people? Jesus, do something in our lives. Make us a light to the world. Welcome home the prodigals. Make people feel at home here because they belong and they're welcome. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.